This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at trustmark.com slash PPP. Member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. I'm Java Chapman in for Kevin Farrell, along with Dr. Lancey Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also hosts a certificate in investment performance measurement from the CFA Institute. Now, if you are a regular listener to MPB Think Radio, then you are a regular listener to news stories. You are what we call informed today. Today, our experts are going to translate those news stories to how that information affects you, me, and everyone here in Mississippi. We'd like your questions about current events and about what's going on with your finances. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, uh, Nancy and Ryder. Uh, Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, and they're all warmed up. Yeah, we're 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 <laughs> this weather is so is so crazy. From one week to the next, it was, and then one day to the next, it was forty degrees yesterday or something. But it's going to be, who knows? I don't know what what's happening with the weather in Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> what they say, if you don't like the weather in Mississippi, just wait ten minutes. Um, our show today is about what's in the headlines, and let's go ahead and um, start with you guys. Do you have any financial news in the news that you want to share, Nancy? I'll start with uh, I've been looking at the retail numbers and sales collections, and the concern has been that our states and local governments have been hurt really badly because of the pandemic. And that's not quite the full story. Um, On average, we've been holding our own. There are some states that are not doing well, in particular those states uh, related to energy that depend on energy and on um, tourism. So Texas, Florida, North Dakota, West Virginia, they are struggling. But believe it or not, Mississippi's uh, tax revenues are up about 0.3%, and that's excellent news for us. Okay. Uh, Ryder, what about you? Do you have any stories that are piquing your interest right now? Yeah, so something interesting, which uh, I know we, we always have a few listeners who are probably into really into this, uh, so we'll treat for them. There's been a lot of what's called special purpose acquisition companies um, going public this year. So that's a tradable company, but all it is is a, uh, a bank account and and somebody looking to buy a company. So this is, you know. We've talked about companies going public before. This is one way companies go public in that, you know, this this blank check company, highly speculative company, goes public and just outright buys a private company or buys a large portion of a private company, effectively making it public. Uh, so this is very interesting. These have been very popular this year. Um, it's it's a different way for folks to gain exposure to the kind of more speculative private and um, freshly IPO'd companies. Um, but of course, there's there's no guarantee of any sort of performance from these. At, you know, after all, they're highly speculative blank check companies. 
Now, before we go to the phones, let's start with our new Treasury Secretary, uh, Janet Yellen. She's the former chair of the Federal Reserve. Um, Nancy, I'd love to hear what you um, think about uh, her and, I guess, her new plans um, as the Treasury Secretary. Well, uh, as Treasury Secretary, she is the banker for the federal government. So it's her job to um, collect all those tax revenues, uh, pay all the bills that the federal government um, incurs, and also to borrow money, which is a big job for the federal government. We do a lot of borrowing because we spend more than we collect uh, on a regular basis. Um, but right now, she's very focused on this stimulus package. So if there's something that comes out and money needs to be sent out to Americans, then it is the Treasury Department that will be part of that, that will be uh, responsible for that. And she is very much in favor of another stimulus. As I am as well in favor of yes, another stimulus. <laughs> now, Ryder, um, I, I, I think Liz, she's poking at me a little bit with this uh, question because every time I get a chance to host this show, um, I always have to ask you about cryptocurrency. So has uh, <laughs> has Secretary Yellen said anything about uh, about cryptocurrency? Because it's becoming increasingly, increasingly, I guess, intertwined with our everyday finances. Yes, so uh, she has, and she has come out uh, not a big fan. Uh, she's recently said that you know they are in increasingly uh, cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin or Ripple or Ethereum or Bitcoin Cash are being used to finance crime and terrorism. Um, you know that's. This is maybe true. Uh, there's certainly some percentage of transactions going on in the world at any time in any currency that are uh, being used uh, for criminal purposes. Uh, and so I think she's going to – she seems to want to use that as, as a reason to regulate uh, cryptocurrencies. You know, I don't know where that's going to go. Attitudes towards cryptocurrencies have changed a lot as we learn more and more about them, and they get more and more um, into the kind of our everyday use. As you said, you know, there are some major cryptocurrency companies uh, going public uh, soon. Uh, Coinbase, which is a large cryptocurrency exchange, is going public. Um, the I believe. The Intercontinental Exchange, so a stock, stock market exchange company that owns, um, like, the New York Stock Exchange and stuff, they are – they have a cryptocurrency branch, which they are going to sell in the public market. It's called Backed. Um, so they are gaining legitimacy. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays up against uh, uh, Secretary Yellen's uh, attitudes towards cryptocurrency. Uh, Nancy, you wanted to um, jump in on this conversation? Yeah, I do. I was listening to uh, Nuriel Rabini. He is a renowned economist, and he was railing about <laughs> cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in particular and said it doesn't really qualify as money. So for something to be money, there are three things. Um, you need to use it to buy goods and services, and we are seeing that happening with Bitcoin. But it also needs to represent a unit of account. That means that when you see that number 
of dollars, euros, whatever, it registers what that value is. And that requires that currency to be somewhat stable. And uh, we haven't seen that stability in Bitcoin in particular and cryptocurrencies in general. Also, they need to have to represent a store of value. So if you put your money in there, when you come back, you can get it out. So those last two things kind of kick it out of the uh, category of money because it is so volatile. Yes, the volatility, I think, attracts some people, not, not myself, but, you know, it can <laughs> be down one day and then and extremely up the next. Um, but also I saw a news story where I believe somebody has uh, an exorbitant amount of Bitcoin, but they forgot their password and they oh, will, no. they could lose they could lose their Bitcoin forever. That's, yep. that's, that's funny to me. We, we do have a, a caller who wants to move forward the conversation with something that is really um, in the news and affects Mississippi in a major way. Uh, John Davis, uh, good morning. Oh, hello there. Oh, Mr. Davis, oh, oh, I know that voice. <laughs> yeah. How are my old friends at the station? Oh, we're, we're hanging in there, Mr. Davis. Uh, go ahead with your, with your uh, comment this morning. I, I see it's a good one. Well, a movement is being floated in the Mississippi legislature to abolish the state income tax with uh, wonderful dreams of attracting more business. In light of the catastrophe in, say, Kansas when this was tried, what do you sophisticated financial experts think of this idea? <laughs> That's a great question, and uh, I see he's bringing that forward. I think we had that scheduled for a later segment. Um, personally, since you did say, what do we think about this? Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, the trade-off here, what they're doing is they're increasing sales tax or increasing equipment taxes and um, increasing equipment taxes for manufacturers and farmers, that's going to make uh, those products either less competitive or more expensive or both. Um, increasing sales tax, that's always going to hit folks with a lower income uh, more. You know, if you make $20,000, you probably need to spend every one of those dollars, all 20000 of those, you know, on the goods and services to, to get by. Um, if you make $50,000, you know, maybe you could probably get by just on 40000 You know, you do increase your spending with your increased income, but it, it doesn't cover all of it. Uh, so increasing sales tax does hit lower income folks more. Decreasing the grocery tax is great. You know, I'd love to see them knock that to zero uh, because that hits everybody. Um, but income taxes are a pretty good way for a government to raise money, and, and I don't, I don't buy the argument that it's going to attract outside investment. I think, uh, personally, I think company one. There's a lot of um, states with a lot more momentum towards attracting outside investment. You know, Texas has always cited, you know, oh, they don't have state income tax, and look at their economy. <laughs> Those things are barely related. Um, Texas has extraordinary amounts of natural resources that have always attracted a huge amount of money to Texas. Um, that huge amount of money, huge amount of talent, um, you know, both engineering, financial, creative, all sorts of all sorts of things that that sort of outside investment has attracted. Uh, we we don't really have that in Mississippi. You know, we don't have pre-existing industry that's kind of building on this momentum. Uh, so I just don't I just don't see it being 
I, I don't see it being transformative in the way that I think folks want it to be. Nancy, what are your what are your thoughts about the uh, no state income tax? Well, I just think they're playing games with numbers. You know, if you look at the bottom line, you have to um, bring in so much income to cover services. And, uh, of course, you're going to get me on a soapbox here, Java, <laughs> because I, when we travel to Arkansas and visit my uh, husband's relatives, I just think, you know, uh, Arkansas, we, we trade the bottom places. Why do they have so much more than what we have? And so there's a different attitude there. But, you know, Mississippi can't even keep the doors open without income coming from the federal government. But to say you're going to get rid of the income tax, all you're doing is shifting it to something else. And I agree with Ryder. When you start to shift it to sales tax, you are hurting the people who can stand it the least. And uh, so I would just say we need to have some honest discussions about what we want our state government to be, how much that costs, and then we all have to pay for it. If you have any questions for our experts, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're discussing headlines and how they affect us in Mississippi. So let's update the status of some businesses that were affected by the pandemic. That's coming up next. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. to Money Talks, our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB public media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Java Chapman, along with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and writer Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. 
Now, in January 2021, Belk announced that it planned to file Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in order to reduce its debt. JCPenney avoided liquidation as mall operators Simon Property Group and Brookfield Property Partners have completed a purchase of the retailer. And in August of last year, 2020, Steinmart announced that they had filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. The retailer also announced that they would be permanently closing most of their stores and will start going out of business sales. Steinmart operates over 20, 280 stores in 30 states. Now, that is just a snapshot of how some businesses were affected during the pandemic. And um, Nancy, is that really on trend for a lot of businesses going for these protections um, and uh, um, some even going out of business? Well, it is, Java, and um, we've had this long-term change in the way that we're shopping as we're seeing more and more of us shopping online. So local stores and particular locally-owned stores have been really struggling to stay open during all of this, and their traffic counts are way down, and we're seeing them close every day. But that's also bumped into the pandemic because that accelerated all of these things. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. When we look at sales tax numbers, tax revenues across the country, what we see is they've mostly held up. But that's because we've had a change in law that allows states to collect those sales tax purchases for online purchases. And so that shift to online, collecting the tax from online purchases, and we're moving away from more in-person shopping, going into stores. Uh, We're just going to have to see how that bounces back once we get out and about and everybody gets vaccinated and more comfortable, will we start to see a resurgence in some of those? I'm afraid some of our small uh, local retailers are gone for good. The ones that are able to survive tend to be the ones that can reorganize and use debt or find another buyer. Yeah, it's like the pandemic really um, highlighted a lot of uh, problems or just uh, changes that is happening throughout the world. And um, this is one of them when it comes to our shopping and businesses. I like what you said. It really just kind of accelerated the um, the trend that was already happening. We do have a, a caller on the line, and we're talking about headlines um, today and answering your questions on how these headlines affect you. If we um, could go ahead and move to Pascagoula and speak with um, can we turn Brother Daniel, turn your uh, radio down. Right, can you hear me? I can hear you now. How you doing, sir? Uh, what's up, Mom? Hope everything's going good with you. <laughs> Listen, I think, you know, and I hope Governor Tate is here, uh, Governor Reeves is hearing this. Yes, I voted for him. I'm a Democrat Republican. I don't know if you ever heard that. The reason why my family's got uh, Republican in it because we we believe all the way back to President Grant. You know, after President Grant left, it ain't been the same. But anyway, uh, what I what I'm looking at is. Why do they always have to put so much in the packages to make it so difficult? This conflict between parties is not only kind of messing us up financially, but it's kind of messing us up in this conflict with the COVID-19. 
and people, I hope people start realizing it. This, this, this bigotry we have between one another, we in Mississippi, we can't have that no more. We got to be, we got to be the show for the United States of America and show them what we have been through is no more. And as a people, we can grow and be financially prepared together. I'm glad there's a mother up there in the White House, and I'm glad there's a mother over the money now. Sometimes it takes mom to manage everything in the house. So I'm hoping here in Mississippi we can work together and the governor can put aside those things and work with Biden together and show the people how we need to work together. We work together when there's a hurricane. We need to work together on this finance, and we need to work together on the COVID so we don't lose any more people and people are not out homeless. All right. Well, we appreciate your um, comment, Brother Daniel. Um, and I know he was uh, speaking. He said a mother over the money. The uh, new Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen um, um, was, was also the former chair of the Federal Reserve. But he kind of moved us uh, forward in the conversation with the COVID relief package and um this is, I believe, a subject that you guys talk about each and every week here on Money Talks. And Nancy, what's what's the latest update with the, uh, the next COVID relief package? Well, first, I just want to say to Daniel, amen and amen. <laughs> um, and I, I do love seeing uh, women uh, at the top of these um, divisions and and I, I think um, women tend to be uh, more interested in let's pull everybody together but that's just my bias but what we do have coming out of this new package the couple of things that people are most interested in is um, the enhanced unemployment will end the middle of March this latest bill is supposed to extend that and add four hundred dollars now it's at an extra three hundred dollars a week coming from the federal government well you'll have four hundred extra dollars a week. And we know in looking back at last year that those enhanced unemployment benefits really did the trick and upheld uh, our economy, um, helped people keep going, caused money to be spent within um, those local economies. We're also going to see an, the one-time benefits, $1,400 for people who make up to 75000 or for a couple up to 150000 which means if you got the stimulus amount last time, you will probably get it this time. The interesting thing about that is we're starting to see our savings rates top 20%. That's unheard of. Now, part of that is because we're all at home, and even at my house, we are just not going anywhere. We're not spending like we were. So people are kind of um, holding on to those extra payments, but we think there's going to be a lag effect. When we start to get out and about again, then that money that has been squirreled away, we're going to see it then um, head into the economy. So we're uh, watching all of that. And also some extra benefits for small businesses, and in particular very small businesses, to focus on them and get them some help so they can get through this. Now, I know the House bill, um, which passed, um, will uh, provide hundreds of billions for state and local governments to uh, boost vaccination efforts, uh, raise tax credits for children, and increase unemployment benefits and federal health care assistance. Um, but also, uh, how does it affect, um, and a writer, you, maybe you can answer this question, how does it affect the um, uh, the deferred or is it the, the delayed mortgage and uh, rent payments 
But does uh, it does so, it give extra help for for those people? So I have not seen. I know. I know the originally the uh, mortgage deferral was through the end of the year. That was through you know Fannie and Freddie. You know, kind of the Treasury has a say in in in, in their policies. Um, I don't know. There and and there was also some some news recently on the the rent moratorium. Um, that was the CDC had kind of put that out, uh, pushed for that. And recently, a, a judge, I believe a case coming out of Texas, um, you know, kind of said, oh, this is unconstitutional. We can't have this. Um, I, it's going to be tough when, you know, any of those moratoriums, you know, kind of come due when people still owe all of the mortgage payments they deferred, all the rent payments they deferred. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see. Um, obviously, you know, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. But Nancy said, uh, you know, as Nancy said, our savings rate is high. Uh, it's possible that a lot of these just do end up getting paid somehow. And uh, that's, that's more money flowing in the economy. Now, um, my producer, Liz, um, just um, let me know that coming up later on in the month, uh, there will be a show on in legal terms dedicated uh, to that very subject. So this is uh, very uh, personal to you with those moratoriums for rent and um, mortgage. Um, you can tune in to a later episode of In Legal Terms, which airs every Tuesday at 10 a.m. right here on Think Radio. Now, one thing that was in the bill, and I, I kind of honestly get confused. It was in the House bill. It won't be in the Senate bill. It's the part about the minimum, the increase in the minimum wage. So, um, right, if you could explain that a little bit for me. Yeah, so there uh, there has been proposals for a long time, and I think finally some of these are making it actually into Congress um, to raise the minimum wage to $15. And um, it, I'm fascinated by how much uh, this uh, sets people on fire because giving more money to people at the bottom makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think one of the interesting things that I think about when I think about uh, the rising minimum wage is I mean, there's two two aspects. One, our minimum wage has not gone up in years. Um, it is hardly any more. You know, I saw a recent example uh, of a congressman saying, "Oh, you know, I've worked at, you know, as a cashier at minimum wage. You know, to, when I was got out of college or when I was working through college." And someone kind of did the math, and they're like, "Okay, well, you got paid six dollars an hour, which is equivalent of about twenty-four dollars an hour a day." So, yeah, you were doing pretty well as a cashier <laughs> during college. Um, now, cashiers are getting paid, you know, $7.25 or $8. Um, w one other thing is minimum wage hikes used to kind of really follow. Uh, they kind of lagged behind uh, industry wages. And so looking at that, maybe the bottom 10% of workers are at the 10 to $11 an hour range. Of course, you know, some are below that, um, but that's kind of their range. Um, there's, there are a lot of states, uh, you know, New York and California, um, Oregon and Washington as well, uh, with a large po with large populations that are paying well above the federal minimum wage. Um, I believe New York was at twelve fifty, California maybe thirteen. Uh, so they're getting close to that fifteen themselves. So you know, there's already a lot of people. There there are still people working well less than than fifteen an hour. But there's a lot of people in America getting a lot closer to that fifteen an hour. So you know, kind of every person that gets a raise. 
uh, is is one step closer to us having $15 as a kind of a de facto. I think it makes sense on the federal level to, to raise it and give more support to uh, folks working at the bottom. Now, we're getting ready to um, take a break. So, Nancy, um, I, I, not, <laughs> I guess I have to say this to make it plain, um, not an indictment on you, Ryder, but I didn't hear a reason why or you didn't explain a reason why some people would be opposed to uh, a $15 minimum wage. They always think mm. they will say it's going to kill small businesses because mm-hmm. they can't afford that. Or I just it, because living off of seven twenty five an hour is people are doing it, but they shouldn't have to, and it's it's almost impossible to. Well, you know, Java. I, I, um, I know you need to go to break, but I need to I need to have some comments here and really talk about the research in this area, because you do have to think about for a business owner. If I have to raise the cost of my labor, it's going to be passed on to my customers. So ultimately, when we decide to raise the minimum wage, we are deciding to pay more for products and services. But there's more to it. Well, we can pick this up after the break. I would okay. like to. I would love to explore this uh, conversation because um, some of the things at the big box store could be priced more. If I mean, you know, who? Uh, I, okay, we're gonna go to break. Um, do you have any questions about national or state financial decisions and how they affect your personal uh, finances? Nancy and Ryder can take your personal finance questions right here. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. What is good news about Mississippi businesses? We'll tell you next and continue the conversation about the minimum wage. Uh, We're going to hear what Nancy has to say when we come back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Hi, it's Rachel Martin with Morning Edition. There comes a time when you've just got to let go of that old vehicle. Lots of great memories, but at this point, it is just taking up space. You could try to sell it, but that can be a hassle. So here's a thought. Let this station take it off your hands. Proceeds from the sale benefit this station, and you could get a tax break. Call today. Thanks. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. 
Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. I'm Java Chapman, along with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Tab, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both charter financial analysts, and Ryder also hosts a certificate in investment performance measurement from the CFA Institute. Now, the Mississippi Business Journal reported Mississippi led the nation in new business applications in the 12 months starting in January 2020, according to data gathered from the U.S. Census Bureau. And I um, also produce Deep South Dining, which airs Monday mornings at 9 right here on MPB Think Radio. And we've had a food writer, Julian Brunt, uh, from the coast on the program a number of times. And he would also comment about how there were so many new eateries and restaurants that popped up on the coast during the pandemic. So I can attest that this Mississippi Business Journal report is um, uh, on on par with what people are actually seeing um, um, on the on the ground. And I guess how does that uh, bump up, Nancy, with what we said earlier with some businesses that were actually uh, closing and, and filing for Chapter Eleven. Well, in the middle of this, you obviously are finding people who are learning to adjust and still give people what they want because, you know, we still don't want to cook at home, <laughs> and we prefer to have someone prepare our meals. Um, but they're finding a way, whether it's uh, just takeout, and I've seen a lot of restaurants um, then changing just to strictly takeout, or they're opening outdoor spaces, and certainly on the coast, you're going to be better at doing that because of the weather. But they're finding ways to maneuver through all this, and this is where you really see um, good business management. Can you duck and dive in the middle of this and handle what's coming at you and adjust your business model and um Hopefully, you'll come out on the other end. And another thing um, uh, Julian uh, would also mention is he was seeing a lot of people with this kind of, if not now, then when type of attitude. You know, we were going along with our day-to-day routines pre-pandemic, and then something happens, it jolts our system, stops the way we normally do things. And a lot of people, I guess, maybe had the aha moment or the epiphany was, well, I've been wanting to cook this food and, and, and be a restaurant owner. Now is the time in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Now, we can uh, continue our conversation. Uh, Nancy, you want to uh, give your comments about uh, the the proposed uh, new increase to the minimum wage. Gosh, how much time do we have, Java? Come on, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, first, you have to have a conversation about should we have a minimum wage. If you're a totally free market person, you would say let the market decide what the, the wage should be. Um, but we decided in 1938 that was when the first minimum wage was enacted. It was 25 cents an hour. And um, when that was enacted, and it has changed through the years, it was never indexed. So the last time we adjusted the federal minimum wage was in 2009, and so it sits at 725. And as Ryder mentioned, there are several states that it's higher than that because each state can decide. And I'm going to go back to Arkansas. Can you believe Arkansas's minimum wage is $11 an hour? I like when you do the comparison because Arkansas is a state people here in Mississippi. You can reach out and touch and kind of, you know, do a yes, nice comparison. Yes. Yes, 
yes, you can. So that seems odd. Now, if we start to look at the research on the minimum wage, and it's been about five years since I've looked at it, so the numbers may be a little different. But um, first of all, if you bump up from 725 to 9, they did not find any loss of jobs at that point. The loss of jobs started to happen when we got to 10 or higher. And so that's the concern for um, business owners, for the overall economy. Are we going to lose jobs along the way by bumping it up? And any kind of bump ups have to be gradual. We can't go from 725 to 15. I think the only um, it's not a state, but the District of Columbia, uh, Washington, D.C., is the only one that has a $15 an hour minimum wage right now. But any kind of move has to be gradual or you do lose jobs. The other thing that we know is a large slice of these people earning minimum wage are not full-time workers. They are part-time teenagers, uh, a lot of them, summer um uh, after school work. So how do you deal with that so you don't squeeze that market and allow our young people to have some experience in the workforce? Do you have a two-tiered system? Um, so it, it's very complicated, and I, for one, am glad that they're going to strip this out and maybe have a longer, deeper discussion about the minimum wage. And, um, you know, as we talk about that, and in some cases, uh, companies have paid their employees a minimum wage. Walmart was doing that for a long time, very low wages. And the rest of us were subsidizing those employees because they qualified for other federal benefits. So um, that didn't seem quite fair that that company was putting their labor cost on really all of our backs. And I think, Nancy, that's where the real, I guess, it, for myself, I would consider when it comes to uh, the the big financial picture, I am a, a lay person, just an ordinary, ordinary guy. I come in and go to work. I get my, uh, my, my paycheck and, you know, I, I pay my bills. <laughs> so when yeah. I see um, uh, places such as Walmart and other big, big, enor enormous companies, um, um, and they pay such, you know, minimum wages, and the wage is so low, it it just doesn't, quote-unquote, sit right. So I know, like you but, said— But Java, they have raised their wages, and I think part of that discussion about minimum wage and how it goes up should also be attached to the business cycle because, you know, when you're in recession, it, it's very difficult to raise those wages and raise those prices— so maybe it's connected to where we are in the business cycle as we gradually bump up. But I do think it needs to be indexed, and it hasn't been. And each state can decide on its own, and some states are paying much more, as we have just said. Um, but I, I think we can have a bigger conversation that's based on real research and not just, well, we just need to pay people more. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I do understand that because um – when the, but with the when it's always brought up, I would say, from what I um, see and read, it's always put back, deservingly so, on a small business that would have to pay, um, uh, I guess what you would say, a larger uh, minimum wage. But you know, a lot of people that get these minimum wages work for these huge, enormous companies. But that's, a, well, I guess, a round, round yeah. type of conversation. And that's not all the case because um, what we do know in any business, and particularly in smaller businesses, the one of your biggest expenses is going to be labor. And so we do need to be sensitive to that, and, and our small businesses are struggling already. 
Um, and so as we talk about this and plan for this, again, uh, gradual moves, maybe a multi-tiered system, uh, but to allow for some indexing along the way, I, I think we can have an increase in the minimum wage that's done in a way that we don't hurt our overall business and our overall economy. And the other thing that's happening to Java is that a lot of those minimum wage jobs are already going away because of automation. Now, that um, is about, true. You, you know, cashiers at my grocery store. Well, I'm checking out my own uh, groceries <laughs> at that point, and even kiosk in uh, fast food restaurants. So that's changing the conversation as well. So that's my plug. Yes, no, you are exactly right with the automation. I do not go to my local grocery store to clock in and bag my own groceries. <laughs> um, yes. But um, do, does does this, um, I guess with what we're saying, this does not have any room in the in the Congress to, to pass, so we should not look for a, a minimum wage hike anytime soon. Well, I think you're wrong there. There is a possibility it could pass through reconciliation, but I think it I think it needs to be a standalone bill and that every congressman has a congresswoman has to uh do an up or down vote. All right. Well, we do. Wow. We have a, a, people want to talk about this. Um, we have oh, of course. A, a phone, a phone bank full of calls, um, but we're going to get to them after the break. A really quick break. <laughs> we'll be back with more money talks after the break. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. show money talk some java chapman here along with dr nancy lotridge anderson president of new perspectives and writer tab portfolio manager at new perspectives remember every tuesday at 10 a.m you can listen live to illegal terms right here on mpb think radio which is coming up in about 10 minutes but let's go to the phone uh, lines we have timothy from louisiana who wanted to um, ask a question um, this morning good morning timothy good morning y'all I would like to start with a statement. Um, we're sharpening our size. We're building our guillotine. Y'all better give us a minimum raise. Oh. Um, <laughs> there, there ought to be a maximum. There ought to be a maximum pay as well, because when you see CFOs and CEOs earning 1,300 times minimum wage, and they're talking about not giving a raise to the minimum, no, sir. Listen, I know waitresses who are working for $2.20 an hour, 
you know. I've been and there, they're in their 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. They're not teenagers. They're in their 30s and 40s. So, and I know farm workers, you know, the, the whole... The whole uh, wage system was set up to suppress farm work wages. I mean, look it up. So I think riders living under, you know, in a, in a very narrow bunch of people, it needs to get out and see what actual working class is getting out here. Well, we appreciate your. Uh, we always appreciate your comments, uh, Timothy. Uh, 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 keep, All right. Uh, well, y'all have a good day. Keep listening, yes, sir. Uh, Timothy, I don't, I don't know if uh, I wasn't clear enough, but I, I, I am very much in favor of more money in the hands of those at the bottom of the wage scale. Uh, so, I don't, I, you know, apologize if that was not clear. Well, let's continue, uh, continue with the phones. We, we're running kind of short on time. Uh, we do want to hear what uh, Susan in Meridian has to say. Um, good morning, Susan. Appreciate you for listening. And what's your comment? My comment is. Minimum wage is meant to be an entry-level job wage. Every time you raise it, you make everything else go up. And if you're at minimum wage, then you work until you get a raise. And I don't make a lot of money. I never did. But I don't begrudge anybody at the height of a company that makes a lot of money. And I don't understand anywhere. I want to know what people are smoking. If they think raising the minimum wage is going to make people have more money, they're just going to have to spend more. And people like me that are retired are going to have less. Well, we appreciate your... Um, your and I think y'all need to do a whole program on minimum wage and why it's better. It was just meant to be an entry-level thing. Well, I think we're 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 on that we're on that track, uh, Susan. This is uh, uh, in the top of the, the news headlines, and we can tell by the response that we've been getting um, on and off the air that we are going to be uh, Java exploring this, this more. Is yep. this the hornet's nest? No, well, hornet's nests aren't, aren't aren't bad. They play they <laughs> hornet hornets play a role in our ecosystem, as I've they learned do. on uh, creature comforts. <laughs> Now, let's uh, continue on the phones, and let's go to Memphis and uh, speak with uh, Charlie, who also wants to come in. Uh, Good morning, y'all. I think it's very important to raise the minimum wage, and this discussion uh, from so-called economists and politicians about uh, hurting business, hurting the bottom line, and raising prices— this discussion has been going on for 12 years. The minimum wage for people has not been raised in 12 years, and every penny that uh, people make at this level, at a lower level of pay, goes back into the economy. So that's helping the economy. Forget about what these so-called economists are saying. They're just looking out for business. They're not looking out for the worker. I appreciate y'all taking my call. Well, we appreciate you um, for listening and uh, calling in uh, this morning, Charlie. And if uh, you have any other comments, you can always email us, talks at MPB on the line. What? No. Money, uh, that email, if you want to send in your comments, money at mpbonline.org. Now, before we get out of here, um, we were talking earlier about uh, the new Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, um, and her 
I guess knew her plans, <laughs> but one plan uh, that got kind of scrapped in the past administration was the $20 bill redesign. Um, I, I heard she had some uh, some comments about that, Nancy. Yeah, I'm really excited that this is a uh, woman who is the Treasury Secretary who is bringing this back, and we're going to have Harriet Tubman, a minority woman, a woman of color, is going to be on our currency. Um, so this is a really interesting change that that we're saying um, that this is someone who represents all of us. And so I appreciate her willingness to step back into that, even though at the same time I'm thinking, you know, how, how much currency do I actually keep in my wallet anymore? Yeah, I would love to see the Harriet Tubman $20 bill. I remember when it was first um, um, announced in the Obama administration, it was just, uh, you know, you always hear these things and think these things would never be possible as a former slave would be now on um, right. uh, our paper currency. But to the same effect, you had slave owners on, the, uh, and I'm not telling any tales out of school, but uh, uh, slave owners on our uh, or paper money currently. So it, this, I don't know how fast enough this can happen, but it, it, it surely will be a welcome sight when I can say pass me a Tubman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, Nancy and Ryder, I always enjoy when uh, Kevin is out because I can step in. And I uh, appreciate you guys for um, uh, another great show and always engaging with our audience, um, even though I think we just had a, uh, a what, a straw poll maybe? This was a two-to-one vote for increasing the minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> it's our... a vote for more, more conversation. There we go. Okay, we can go with that because it's not, it's, there's nothing wrong with talking and uh, debating out the issues. That's how you get to your your solutions. And uh, just uh, once again, say thank you to Nancy and Ryder for letting me hop in the seat for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio and is funded in part by the generous financial support of our listeners. To hear today's show or previous shows, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to our podcast. Just search for Money Talks. Today's show was produced by Liz Gill and our call screener was Lisa Lancaster. For Dr. Nancy Lachers Anderson and Ryder Taft, I'm Java Chapman. Join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio for more Money Talks. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at Trustmark.com slash PPP. Member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 